Portals of Darkness, Creepy Rashomon Marine Buffet, Mage the Awakening, 2nd Edition, The Fallen World Chronicles, Episode Zero, The Introduction to the Game. I am Devin the GM, and with me today we have... Nicole, whose character is Persephone, slash Leo Kelly. Kevin, playing Leviathan, who is Kaiser Vargas. And Peter as the Magister Fjord Patrov. Alright gang, so we got a new game here, Mage the Awakening 2nd Edition. Uh, chronologically speaking, we just wrapped it up, but the listeners are going to hear this first. So, here we are to talk about Mage. So, how should we start this off? Um, Mage is one of the three flagship lines, Vampire, Mage, and Werewolf. It is probably the most popular among people, because Mage is fucking bonkers. It definitely has the most uh, power out the gate and the most options for taking your characters to different areas. Mm-hmm. Mages are strong. Um, with one or two dots in their quote-unquote magic powers slash disciplines, which are called arcana, they can do what a lot of other splats can do across five to six dots. Um, they have a huge toolkit available to them. Um, Mages are really focused on solving mysteries and exploring questions and finding answers to things. Uh, they're a very um, curiosity-based splat. They're kind of adrenaline junkie, junkies, constantly looking for their next tidbit or adventure to go on. Yeah, well, it's even wrapped into the characters. They're uh, built with what's called obsessions, things that they're super focused on and they get like a lot of XP from. They even run a little different from most other characters, where if you have an aspiration and you clear it, you get to change it for something else at the end of the session. Mages do that scene by scene, because they can often answer or do things much quicker than any other character type can. Yeah, they can just look into something and kind of bury deep into any connections that are threaded through it. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. So, yeah, I guess we should start with the basics. Uh, Mages have clans like vampires, and mages have covenants like vampires, but they're called Paths and Orders. Uh, It's five and five, just like normal, and for mages, it's broken down into their paths. There is Acanthus, the witches, Mastagos, the warlocks, Moros, the alchemists, Overmost, the thaumaturges, and Thyrsus, the shamans. Um, and each one of these has a very different focus and flavor for what kind of mage they represent. Two different types of arcana per uh, class. Yeah, so they have two strong ones called the ruling arcana and one weak one called the uh, lesser, the inferior. For example though, Moros are known as the alchemists, but also necromancers. Yep. So uh, basically, in Vampire, what clan you belong to was determined by who sires you. In Mages, you have to awaken. So we have to basically figure out that the actual world is just a pale reflection of the supernal world. And yeah, you go on a grand vision quest where your spirit goes to one of the five supernal realms like Arcadia, Pandemonium, etc., etc., and you inscribe your name into one of the five uh, towers in that uh, world, and based on which tower you inscribe your name on, you become that path. Yeah, the the fundamental conceit of Mage is that the world is a big fucking lie, um, and it plays heavily off the Plato Cave allegory. So the idea here is that um, as a mage, 
you woke up from the long sleep of the lie that uh, make that and, and realized that the world itself is fake. Everything about it is, isn't real. And there's a, a superior reality, a higher intelligence that exists beyond the lie, and you're directly tapped into it now. Like you have the ability to alter reality uh, on a fundamental scale. And there are things that propagate the lie, called the Exarchs, and they're big pieces of shit, and they have servants called the Seers of the Throne, who are fascist assholes. And also playable. Yeah, also playable. So yeah, uh, we've got the paths, but they generally don't limit that much what your character is, or color it all that much. Basically, what powers you start with, what powers are you're proficient at, but you can learn anything and go from there. So it doesn't have that much of long-term bearing on your character as clans would have. Yeah, essentially there's only one arcana you're kind of restricted in. And other than that, you can just keep taking new ones and making yourself really broad in what you can learn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think your, one of your ruling always has to be at the highest, though. Mm -hmm. So no matter what you're doing, you're always going to be like slightly better at yeah. one of the two main ones that your clan or whatever. Because that was going to be that focus, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... All of the paths we've got the orders. So the orders are broken up like this. Way back when they started with a diamond, you had the four main old orders. Recently, the fifth order came around the Free Council, and now they're called the Pentacle. So there's five of them. And the counterpoint to them are the Seals of the Throne, which have existed since time immemorial as well, and they form an Iron Pyramid. And then there are also some banishers, which are some mages that want to kill their mages, but they're not even mentioned in this book. They're not even really a group so much as a loose affiliation of mages who have yeah. burned out and are attempting to stop anyone from practicing magic. Yeah. They're, they're less of a group and more of just an antagonist that yeah. exists. Yeah, they um, they worship the Exarchs, no, you know. Those are the Oh, so I thought that's what we were talking okay. about. So, let's start with the diamond, the original Atlantean four. So first off is the Adamantian Arrow. So I want to take that. Uh, they're basically focused focused on honor and uh, you know enforcing rules, hunting down those who would harm like mage kind. Yeah, they're basically like the warriors, the protectors, the enforcers. Yeah. You know all that sort of stuff. Yeah, very noble. <coughs> yeah. So next up we've got the Guardians of the Veil. They're basically the party boobers. They're the um, Tradition and uh, you well, know, dignity. No. There are some secrets that should not be uncovered, mm, and there are some secrets that need to be buried. And they are the <laughs> minotaurs that stalk the labyrinth to make sure that nobody can go through it, and so on and so on. Like, kind of the scholars, basically. Yeah, or men in black. You know, they're the people that make sure that the mages don't go haywire and, you know, ruin the whole world, tear apart, and so on. So, yeah. Next up, we've got the Mysterium, which are the learned people that want to you right, know, explore yeah. all the secrets and unlock all the doors, get all the keys, and get into all those problems. And yeah, they're basically, you know, opposed the counterpart to the Goddess of Veil, really. Um, yeah, and to top it off, we've got the Silver Ladder, which they're all about the ascending the human soul to the higher levels of enlightenment, you know. You up. Yeah, they want every immortal to be able to practice magic and to be a mage. They want they want to wake up everyone in a kind yeah. of condescending sort of way, but they're very charitable. They work quite heavily with the mortal world to uh, 
help enlighten them? Yeah, even the name is a play on the on the Thomas of Aquinas, the you know, hierarchy of enlightenment in the Christian mythology and so on. Yeah. So yeah, they're basically the counterpoint to the seers of the throne that want to keep people downtrodden and yeah. contained. So they want to enlighten everybody. So yeah, that was the diamond, and now we got the fifth part. This the free council. Yeah. Um, basically, the free council was was beforehand, uh, they were a large, there were uh, far more groups and, uh, you know, guilds of mages, and the Seer of the Throne, like, went to them all and attempted to bolster them under their flag, and when they refused, they were wiped out, and the remnants formed the Free Council. And they're probably the most modern of the, uh, yeah. groups. They're all about embracing the magic and technology and putting that together and, yeah, doing all the techno-magical stuff. Technology, embracing humanity, and uh, you know the sleeping world. Yeah. A bit so, naive. Yeah. So they're a little bit on their own, but if they have to align themselves with anybody, they align themselves with the diamond usually. And they create the pentacle. Yeah. And yeah, they create the pentacle because, on the other hand, we've got the seers of the throne. We're basically rock stars. Well, yeah. Okay. How seers of the throne are they? Like, way, way back in Atlantis. Uh, what the, the mages actually started, some people decided, hey, this world is shitty, how about we go to the real world and start ruling there? So they made the Tower of Babel, and some of the mages actually crossed over before the tower fell and created the abyss. And some of the people were, you know, created the five watchtowers to help the new mages awaken. The other people, on the other hand, decided, you know, awakening new mages is shitty, how about we just rule the world from here? After ruining the world, they were like, yeah, let's just take over what's left of it. Yeah. You know, hubris. And they're very uh, over the top. Uh, for example, the picture that depicts them in the book proper is a bunch of them wearing masks fa and fancy clothes, snorting cocaine off platters. <laughs> yeah. So they're all, all about, you know, top-down control, controlling the people, enforcing the lie, and, you know, making sure that, you know, magic is controlled and under their sway. The... They're also backstabby as fuck. Yeah, yeah. So, as the book puts it, basically the Seer of the Throne are one of the more powerful uh, organizations of mages. They could overtake everybody if they weren't so backstabby. Because everybody wants to be on top and nobody wants to, you know, play nice here because, hey, if you do really well here, maybe the excerpt will, you know, take you from this world and put it in, you in the real world. Cartoonishly like, so. Yeah. Like, uh, extended universe Sith. Shitty. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, one of the greatest honors that a Seer of the Throne can uh, achieve is becoming the avatar for one of these mages who crossed through and became the Exarchs. Yeah. So yeah, um, the Seer of the Throne by themselves are broken up into the Iron Pyramid and have various uh, ministries inside of them. There are four main ones. And there are the Panopticon, which serve the eye, which is this is basically focus on surveillance, investigation, basically Big Brother stuff. You've got the Hegemonic Ministry that serve the unity, which are all about nationalistic stuff, putting nations against nations and dividing people into groups. So then we've got the Paternoster, which serve the father, which is all about using the religion to divide people. And you've got the Praetorians, which are the servants of the general which are all about uh, fueling the engines of war, pitting people against each other. 
and so on. So yes, when they say that the Seers of the Throne are playable, I mean, sure. If you want to be But evil. they're assholes. Well, basically, if you play the Seer of the Throne, you are in favor that, hey, you're using the magic for yourself. It's all about you, man. You know, who, why are you supposed to limit yourself? A bad person. It's pretty evil. much dictated right in the book that, uh, you know, even if a mage enters and they don't know how bad it is, they're going to learn it. The deeper they get, the more it's going to be unjustifiable that they joined. And, yeah. Uh, it, it gets... Awfully Wolf of Wall Street, awfully fast. Yeah. So yeah, basically the Sears of the Throne saw the pentacle and they're like, yeah, we can be overcomplicated and divided too. And then they did that. <laughs> we could definitely pit ourselves against each other, render ourselves cripplingly, cripplingly uh, uh, pointless, uh, even though we have more resources and more power. Which is fair. Oh, sorry. Which is literally what the series too. Uh, they have more resources and more power, and because they're constantly extended universe Sith backstabbing each other, they're about as effective as the entire Pentacle and Diamond, who have less resources and are scrambling. Which is fair, because mages as a whole seem very, uh, very much slaves to the narrative. So much so that uh, they have they have these things called shadow names, which I think we can move on to. Definitely. That is basically a persona that they adopt, so that uh, they don't people can't have a sympathetic link to their uh, real names, which hold power. But it also grants them power of its own, because you're creating your own legend, your own character. But unfortunately, these often mean that uh, if you're, you're making a legend for yourself, that means that it kind of ties into your fate. And, uh, it, it reverberates through the supernal and kind of assigns imagery to it that repeats itself. Exactly. Like if you called yourself like Cinderella. If you called yourself Ahab, don't get uh, too attached to one of your legs. Exactly. <laughs> Stuff like that. Don't go near the ocean. I mean, you will. You eventually just will. Right. Yeah. Aurora, you're going to fall into a coma. Stuff like that. Mm. Okay. Um, so yeah, another major aspect of the mage, of course, the magic, which is all free-flowing. And yeah, so we've got 10 spheres of magic. We won't have to list all of them. Arcana. But, yeah, but they basically cover everything you can want to do in this world. Go into the other dimensions. Interact with anything living, dead, or otherwise, you know. Magic is all day, every day. Yeah. That's a big thing, is essentially how every other splat has this one kind of world they deal with, like werewolves have the spirit world, and uh, changelings have the hedge. Mages can pretty much barge into any of those, depending on if they have the right type of arcana. Yeah. And just start fucking with it. Yeah. Though, usually the things that are in there can fuck right back, so. Yeah. yeah. Mages just basically barrel drunkenly into whatever they want and start messing with shit. Because mysteries. Yeah. It's a mystery. So yeah, there are five levels to each arcanum. Each unlocks more and more powerful magic. There are various spells you can use in casting. And, and magic doesn't have like a mana cost, really. Uh, if you have your ruling arcana, you're going to be casting all day, every day. Nothing can stop you. Except Paradox. Paradox is, is heavily neutered in this if listeners are used to Mage the Ascension or Mage the Awakening First Edition. Paradox rarely comes up. Uh, in the six sessions we ran through, it came up twice. Yeah. And really, even if you get it, you can just absorb it into your body or spend more mana to suppress it. It's not something that you're constantly going to have to worry about. Yeah. Well, really nothing can stop you. Hell, even um, dis dissonance and quiescence, the things that sleepers suffer, the, the ways that sleepers propagate the lie by ruining magic, only really comes up if you're using vulgar, like obvious magic in front of them. If you're doing subtle shit and they have no way to interact with it and realize that something super unnatural is happening, your magic doesn't even trick them. Fate. You could just mess with fate and just do all kinds of damage. So, yeah. 
So, so um, it, it, it's worth pointing out because we were even uh, basically caught up in this this idea that you can't use your magic because Mage of the Ascension is basically built around you not being able to use magic because paradox happens constantly and that it's a 90s White Wolf game and that's what it's all about. It punished you constantly for using magic because the whole narrative of the game was, you know, the best way to be a mage is to never use magic. And, and Mage 1E had the same issue where you were constantly being dinged by... Uh, by paradox and like stuff that would make you not want to use your magic because you had the vulgar subtle divide. Mage 2E, much like Vampire, uh, totally cut that shit out. They, they fixed it, and it's actually fun to cast magic now. Yeah, like, like apparently that was a design choice made by the, the developer, Dave B. He was like, we want to make the game, we, we want to set the game up so that people are encouraged to cast spells. And it's like, that's night and day from previous mages. Let's stop tasing them in the balls every time they cast a fireball. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, magic is fun. Magic is exciting to throw together. It's a pro. It's a it's a toolkit, and it's uh, just just us sitting here with these six sessions. We probably threw out like 30, 40, 50 spells. Endless yeah. spells. And when um, when we were first getting into mage, it seemed like there was a lot to sift through to figure out what the hell mage is. Uh, but once you basically get a handle on it, you're, yeah. you, it's really easy. Yeah. There's it's a really fun. Yeah. Uh, so what, what we did is we went to the chapter for spellcasting at the end of the PDF, and we just sat down and barreled, barreled through like like wanting something like I want to damage someone or I want to you know do this, and then we basically sussed out from there. And magic casting became a lot simpler once you understand what the um, the practices are. The practices tell you what you can do. Uh, generally speaking, through one to f levels one to five, stuff like uh, you know, level two has what's called ruling in it, and ruling allows you to change things, but not from one state to another. It lets you alter the current state. So, for matter, that means you can like take metal and shape metal, but you can't turn metal to a liquid or metal to a gas. That'd be another a different level. Those things are very nice guidelines to help you push through what you can do with your magic, and then each arcana has example uh, spells like, you know, making animals better, mind control, uh, teleporting, and those help also inform what you can do, but it's, it's very freeform. So yeah, um, generally with the spells, it's quite a nice to put together because um, when you're casting a spell, you don't roughly know your power, but sometimes you want to reach beyond your means. And when you do that, then the paradox comes in and so on. It's very natural, very thematic even how it starts coming about that yeah you're reaching beyond your means therefore you have to suffer the consequences it's and more related to hubris than it is yeah. to uh just you know using magic yeah. yeah and even as gnosis one characters uh you can get rid of paradox with mana and get rid of paradox with your answers <coughs> yantras being the things you use to modify your magic tools your, your basic yantra which is like your your personal tool really cuts down like two dice of paradox automatically and then you can send Ben Mad to get rid of the remaining dice and get down to just a chance die, which I think we rolled a chance die for maybe 20 spells, and I never got a success on it. I think you got one. Twice. Yeah. But yeah. Out, out of like the 20 of them, maybe, maybe once. Yeah, but, points them, but it just never happened. Paradox really fucked me with that. Uh... Yeah. The, the, one time one it, time. the one time it fucked us over, it really fucked us over. Yeah, I almost died. It was great. Yeah. Uh, the beat economy for mages is amazing. You constantly are earning beats, probably at double to maybe triple the speed of other supernatural mm, types. So no. fast. What do you mean? No, no, no. Yeah, that's exactly what was happening. I've actually kept, kept the numbers and comparison my vampire beats to my mage beats. It's not double. It's like you know, 
one point, you know, three five. It's still significantly more. It doesn't fucking matter what the actual math is. The point is, with mages, you get to replace your aspirations every scene, whereas every other thing you replace it every session. Yeah, that if makes we were, a huge difference. If if after the six sessions we just did, we were to do the six sessions over again with the level of expertise we had, that, that number would easily be done. We'd just be farming it and be like, no, it's three by Because it was like, oh, okay, this is how it works. Like, once you understand how mages use aspirations to gain beats and play to their obsession and play to their arcane XP, it it just goes. Like, yeah, how mages play to their obsessions, how they play to their aspirations, and how they can <coughs> impose conditions on themselves just to resolve it. Oh my god, we never even got to that. Yeah, it, it, Mages do this so often, it's in the book and tells you it's okay to do. Mages can cripple themselves with conditions and then work through it in real time to give themselves beats just to learn from it. Yeah. It's insane. There's so many more options for beats for mages. Yeah. It's fair that we didn't do it in this one because six sessions we'd still be like, I'm gonna chop off my arm. Yeah. What'd you do? What'd you do, Caesar? I chopped my dick off for like an entire arcane XP. I'm gonna get it back. Well, <laughs> but now it's out there waiting. You know, you have to pick the right arcanum for those sort of things like fate or something that gives you lots of conditions. Life, man. Yeah. I mean, all you have to do is cut off your finger. Or like you know, cripple your kneecap. That doesn't give you that gives you tilts. That doesn't give you. Just, just start small and, and keep getting up there further and further. Give yourself a permanent condition, like your legs don't work no more, and then you just yourself. wheelchair around. Your tilts in a condition. Uh, tilts are like minor things. Like tilts, like half a condition basically. Like arm rack is only one of your arms, but if both of your arms are paralyzed, then that's a full condition. Okay. Yeah. Well, so if you're in a wheelchair, you just go around gaining beats from like, the wheelchair. Yeah, just kneecap both your knees then. Basically, like, you know, tilts are combat modifiers. Yeah, we're talking about conditions, which mages yeah. can do with all that stuff. Like, put themselves in a wheelchair, or deafen themselves, or blind themselves, and be like, I'm blind now. Or tear out your soul. Yeah. <laughs> just I'm, let it loose. I'm nervous about my first mission. Oh yeah, souls are just interchangeable to mages. They can just grab someone else's really oh. easily, and be like, yeah, I'm just gonna shove this in. There. Those souls back. Mages can do a lot. They have a big toolkit. Yes. Yeah. And we didn't even touch like a quarter of it. Yeah. It's a very focused game. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, wisdom. Oh, yeah, so you're right. Mages' morality is wisdom, and wisdom is basically how not to abuse the fact that you have magic. It has nothing to do with murder or that kind of fucking crazy shit. Unless you murder someone with magic, which is a whole different case. Or must murder. Or if you're just going around stabbing people, it's like, it's not magic-based. Or if you're like, I don't know, what one of the things Kevin did was they had a dead body that they didn't kill, and he hacked it up into little pieces and hid the pieces around town so it would reveal a smiley face. In Vampire, that would cause problems with your humanity, and with Mortals, that would cause problems with your integrity. Mages? Psh! They don't know right from wrong. It's just an arts project. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. This, uh, this don't matter. <laughs> so, yeah. Mages get pinged with wisdom for abusing their magic, like mind-controlling people to do to do stuff that they want and, you know, make them work against their better interests. Or tearing up your soul into little pieces so you can enhance your magic. Doing things that some would consider unnatural. Uh, yeah. is a big one. Um, premeditated murder and murder in passion. Like, just, just going out of your way to kill someone. Uh, like, for no good reason. Hmm. Um, but, for the most part, it's pretty easy to be a mage. Especially when you're just starting out. Yeah. You can also, there's ways for you to not take penalties for um, that kind of shit by inuring yourself. But that didn't really come up. Yeah. Um, 
Spell casting is easier if you have rotes or practices. Rotes are a type of spell that you have pre-learned that gives you like I think nine again or something. No, no rotes let you use uh, your up. skill. So it lets you use whatever level of skill you have um, in bonus to it, and it takes up one of your money. Yeah, just slots, but yeah. Yeah, and practices let you uh, get nine again. Practices. Except for success and three successes. Oh, that's the one? Yes. Yeah. What the hell was nine again? Nothing is nine again. Uh, there, Shotguns were nine again. No, that's Shotguns the only were nine again. Guns. There are some prime spells that you use a Yantra to make it nine again. There. Eight again. Fucking get that. Put that in an item. Get a shotgun. Yeah. Right? Like, if I will play a mage, I already have it sketched out. Like, play a Mysterium where you can get each uh, first two you use. I know you said Mysterium, but I heard Mysterio, the Spider-Man villain. So you had like a green armor suit on and a fishbowl helmet and a cape. And you're like, oh, we're all getting eight again, guys. I got a plan. Basically, in Mysterio you can have a merit that lets you... Any first tool you use is a dedicated tool. You take five tools, enhance them for all the five different specs. And you got five dedicated tools that'll give you eight again. Or just Get play fucked. a mage with five firearms and five dexterity. And a shotgun. And be a shotgun mage. And never cast magic at I cast nine again on damage dice. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Or just on life. Put all your stuff in life so you can enhance your body. For better shotgunning. Oh no, bro. <laughs> it's all technique. Just use space and you'll telefract people. So what else use, is there about me? Use matter to combine a shotgun with wondrous machine with another machine called a laser and laser shotgun them. And then combine that with puppy. Arf, arf. Okay. We don't know right from wrong. Yeah, that's pretty much mages. Mages are great. Uh, I think the next thing we should go to is... <laughs> what? Sorry. I just remembered that shirt with... with... With, I think it was Nina <laughs> and the dog doing the fusion yeah. dance. It just makes me so sad every time, but it's so good. Uh, Alright, so in this mage game, your characters have been awakened for a month. Mm -hmm. uh, and you were picked up by one of the silver ladders in town. Uh, Frizzle. Yeah, who's basically Miss Frizzle slash Lily Tomlin, because Lily Tomlin voiced Miss Frizzle, so whatever. Yep. Um, and she's silver ladder, and all three of you are silver ladder, and she taught you about magic and stuff. And that was your character's introductions to magic. So let's go around the table and give each of uh, your awakening stories. Okay. Um, so Leo Kelly was on her morning run as usual, and she got was she on a morning run or was she <laughs> helping the criminals? I don't remember what how exactly it happened. I don't think she might have been helping her criminal friends, but she might have been on her morning run. The important part morning is ball. she got fucking stabbed. Um, and basically, as she was passing out, um, she had kind of an out-of-body experience. Um, I think she might have been in the hospital for a little while, and then she was awakened. I don't have a big story about it. Oh. She got fucking stabbed, that's it. What's her shot name? Persephone. Uh, basically, Leo Kelly had always been a fairly, well not always, but as a mortal in Atlantis One, she had been a religious person. Uh, she'd been a Christian and everything like that, and very quite um, devout about it. But realizing that everything in the world was fake kind of shook that, and um, she kind of adopted a different religion's basically um, name for herself, kind of in defiance of it. Mm -hmm. um, and also because she's a Moros, 
which is a necromancer slash alchemist, uh, and she has death as her main word, so, you know, ruler of life and death, you know, queen of the underworld type thing. So that's why I chose that for my shadow name. Perfect. And you also talked about what your thing was. Yes. Yeah. So, throughout the whole game, you used your uh, name as a yantra. Yes. So how did that work out for you? Did you, did so you think many more dice. Do you recommend that merit for people? Yes. It's such a good Goddamn game. fucking yes. Um, basically, shadow name the merit. You adopt a different pers- persona uh, when you're in your main, when you're in the mage zone, basically, uh, and it uh, comes to one to three dots. And <coughs> I'm sorry, one to four dots. One to three, and then you can use a oh, a clan one, yeah, or a coven one or something. But yeah, anyways, uh, it comes to one to three dots, and it's basically the more developed and the more different you in your normal life are to you in your mage life. Um, so, you know, Leo Kelly still goes to church every Sunday and everything like that. Uh, she's still fairly meek and stuff, but as a mage, she's a lot more confident and, um, yeah, not religious, stuff like that. She's a lot more curious about things, whereas before she was a lot more self-conscious about her intelligence, so she didn't really do stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, she's pretty much a different person when she's in the mage zone, but it doesn't really come up a lot in game because when I'm hanging out with the other PCs, I'm always in mage zone. Mm. Um, But yeah, and having a shadow name uh, makes it so that people have a harder time identifying you uh, outside of your mage stuff. Also, you... um, You can use the name as a yantra. Yes, so you get three extra dice for basically every spell you use it for. Um, And it also does something else. Oh, if someone has like fate magic or time magic, uh, they, they have a lot harder time affecting you if they know you as your mage self. They have a lot harder time affecting you in a different time when you weren't in your mage self. It's, it's really fucking worth it. It's, you know, three merit points if you buy it all the way up, but I would definitely say it's worth it. I got a use out of it every single time I cast a spell. Hmm. Oh yeah, and your aura. Mages give off auras, right? Mages have a so- nimbus. Yeah, the Nimbus. So, listeners, this is the one part we didn't quite fully explore the mechanics of, and that's the Mage's Nimbus. Um, your Nimbus kind of patterns the environment and alters things and creates sympathetic connections to things based on your shadow name and stuff. Uh, we didn't really explore it that much, and you should read up on it. I have mine um, written up. Yeah, it's generally that each time you cast a spell or you can force it, you give some bonuses or penalties to some dice that allowed you for Well, yeah, yeah there's, a long, there's a long-term nimbus, which is just like, you know, stuff that happens around your character. Quincental. Doesn't have mechanical stuff um, tied to it. It's just quincental weird shit that starts happening around your character. My character's shadow name and is Persephone, so her long-term one uh, smells like rotting leaves and the chill in the air kind of smells like fall time. Um, also, you know, si- things there might be signs of haunting, there might be mechanical failures, like lights flickering, temperatures changing, mm. stuff like that. Um, so, you know, just stuff that doesn't have mechanics, but stuff that if people hang out with you really often, they're, they're going to start noticing it. Uh, your immediate nimbus is when uh, you're actually casting a spell at that time. And that's the one that does have mechanical stuff. Um, so, and it also does have, like, you know, thematic stuff for it. So. For mine, um, I kind of had it as a acceptance of death or peace of the grave type thing. So it gave you bonuses to composure rolls while uh, the duration of the spell lasts, essentially. 
um, you and your allies or whoever is around you with this with the spell. And um, somatically, it's like the shadows get darker around. This only with mage sight, by the way, listeners. Only mage sight can see this. But um, you know, shadows get darker. Um, all the sounds kind of get muted, and then you can kind of hear whispering at the edges of your um, hearing. Uh, and then there's signature nimbus, which is uh, basically anytime you cast magic on people or things, you leave kind of a stain behind of your magic. That if other mages are using focused mage sight. Uh, they can use it to try to identify you, which, with shadow name, by the way, makes that harder. <laughs> but for mine, um, Aramak. Um, so yeah, um, for the um, signature Nimbus, for example, mine, um, people, if you're using Focus Made Sight to look at stuff she's cast magic on, uh, you actually see poppies growing in people's shadows. And also, once again, that like faint whispering that you can't quite catch what they're trying to say. Um, I don't know if everyone wrote up their entire Nimbus, but it's a good thing to cover for me just because it's actually supposed to be fairly important. Yeah, honestly, if listeners are interested in the Nimbus, they they, they should just read that section because yeah. we did not cover it. Yeah. There's a lot of complicated stuff to it, so... Yeah, a mage is fairly dense. I mean, I even took a merit for it. It just never came up, so... <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna pop. And we're back. So yeah, that was good for uh, Persephone and Kevin. Uh, Caesar Vargas slash Leviathan. Let's talk about how he, what his awakening was like, what his shadow name's like, what he's like as a mage, and all that stuff. Alright, so Kaiser Vargas arrived in uh, Atlantis 1 about a month ago, and in this version of events, while he was on the uh, submarine down here, he essentially fell through the floor of the submarine and into the ocean trench itself and spent what felt like an eternity just walking on the ocean floor in a weird spiritual twilight version of it. And down on the ocean floor is a leviathan that has a lot of mystery surrounding it. Uh, there's a mass graveyard there and it just doesn't seem to be rotting. Yeah, the and whale skeleton from Vampire. Yeah, and he encountered that and uh, kind of, I wouldn't say communed with it, but so much as uh, he felt a kinship with it. And when he woke up, he adopted the name Leviathan himself. Uh, to be clear, did not actually fall through the floor of the thing. Yes, yes. That was like his spirit. <laughs> that was his adventure. So yeah, he adopted the name Leviathan. Uh, his shadow name is essentially... He has this hoodie where he's built... Uh, he became way more artistic after becoming Leviathan. So he has a weird bone mask made of dolphin uh, bone and... Uh, like tinted lenses, and he just drops out of his hood and over his face whenever he enters uh, Leviathan mode. Uh, Leviathan is a lot more intellectual than him, a bit more, uh, like, I wouldn't say aggressive so much as he has a focused anger. And he's. Yeah, he's just a lot more smooth, I'd say. Uh, Kaiser just kind of channels that into being a much more organized person. Um. As a mage, he's detached, I'd say. He's, his one, like, kind of truest friend is his familiar, who he, uh, he's, it's a, essentially a spirit that inhabited this cat, and the cat took the form of, uh, actor Eartha, Eartha Kitt <laughs> as Catwoman. Yes. A cartoonishly Eartha Kitt, uh, a cartoonish Eartha Kitt parody. Yeah, because uh, Kaiser is a fan of Shows like that. He's a fan of Batman. He's a fan of comics like that. So she took the form of Eartha Kitt 
who's kind of this diva who lives in his house despite being a immensely powerful spirit. Yup. He's heavily detached. He stopped talking to his parents. He stopped associating with non-mages to a large event, large points, because he just, they hold no interest to him, really. Other supernatural types hold interest to him. Mysteries hold interest to him. Uh, he's become a bit, I hesitate to say unhinged, but he's creative in how he handles mysteries, to the point that his apartment looks like a serial murderer shack. Uh... What else should I discuss there? So, how do you find that uh, familiar merit? Did you get any use of it? Would you recommend it? Oh gosh, no. I got no uh, nothing out of it. But uh, a familiar can you can cast magic through them, and they have their own powers. Like uh, it comes in two flavors. It comes in two dots and four dots. And the four dot are just kind of fuck machines to be blunt. Uh, they're extremely powerful. They have a number of their own abilities they can use, such as. Uh, the one that I gave uh, her the kit is essentially that she can take a human form, which she just constantly used. And these these familiars uh, attach themselves to mages because it allows them to stabilize in the real world, and they can feed off the excess like magic that they give off. Yeah, Eartha Kit was an interesting character, but familiar definitely. Like, how many dots did you have in that? Just two. That's not that bad. I couldn't afford four because of the way this is set up. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, underutilized, and plus the the familiar and you have an exchange of mana going between each other, so they're also kind of a mana battery depending on what your relationship with them is. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But like, definitely not utilized to the full extent that she could have been. Yeah, she I was, think that it's something that other games might get a lot of use of, but we we didn't. Other yeah. than having hilarious flavored stuff happening. Yeah, I think in the long term, but that's that's kind of what I intended for. Her. She was a sounding board. She was someone who Kaiser lived with to kind of humanize him a bit because he's Ooh. he's very detached. Uh, yeah, also a source of lore, like cult lore and information. Exactly. She knows she knew a lot because she's a spirit. That is a, a fair amount of value right there. Yeah, and she did give him advice about things like that. Like about spirits, uh, what to beware. Don't trust owls. Don't trust owls. Never trust owls. Mm -hmm. so yeah, I guess I'll talk about his uh, his Nimbus. He had a merit called Potent Nimbus, which I also never used. <laughs> which essentially just made his more powerful. Kind of the one that was constantly around him was um, this kind of vague feeling of pressure, like being under the ocean. Which we were already under the ocean, but kind of that pressure on your shoulders. That's really, I don't like it. Yeah, and then the active one is uh, kind of that, you start to gain more to presence, give you a one, plus one to presence, essentially, where you're starting to feel more intimidating and more aggressive. Then you get plus two, though, because you have potent nimbus. Oh, right, plus two, yeah. yeah. So he made people just, it was, it was <laughs> essentially the magical effect of taking off your glasses and looking, <laughs> like, much better. And then his, uh, his, this one he left behind, I actually don't know what that one would be. I, I think it was something along the lines of I have my notes somewhere. Yeah. Uh, is like fishbone like would start showing up. Hmm. Yeah. The the long. Do you mean the the long term one or do you mean the signature one? The signature one. That's the one. Oh, okay. Yeah. The signature one is only visible by mage sight. Yeah. Whereas long term one can affect real people. I guess that would actually probably start bringing spirits about. Uh, he was a thyrsus. Uh, thyrsus. Thyrsus. Whichever. He was thirsty. <laughs> he was thirsty. He was. He had that song Oh my god! Oh my. Uh, but yeah, uh, essentially, he was all about the uh, the life magic and the spirit world. Mm -hmm. Which were a very good combo. Oh yes. yes. Uh, I got so much use, more use out of life. Life was a lot of fun. Yeah. I would have gone for three life next time. Um, yeah, life our characters so overlapped long. quite a bit, actually. Um, mm -hmm. I had death three... Um, 
uh, Matter 2 and Life 2, you had Spirit, and by the end of the game, you had Spirit 3... Life 2, uh, Death 1. Death 1. I didn't mean to. Kevin just gave me the finger by accident, listeners. (laughs) I think that's it, though, uh, unless there's anything else. That's perfect, yeah. Alright, and Peter with Theodore. Okay, so Fielder Oaken, after he, you know, designed some perfect building, you know, he's an architect, that's what he does. And, you know, he realized the perfect, you know, perfect world and so on, and he awoken us in Obrimos, in the uh, land of, what's that? One. Uh, in the Aether. So, all about primes and forces and all those, everything in balance. So, yeah, um... Fyodor is pretty much similar as a magister as he is as himself, you know, thinking, calculated, you know, having that approach to life generally. He's, uh, what did he have? He mostly had prime and space. Uh, it seems that space had a lot more uses later on because we figured out all the nice combos you can have through sympathetic connections and everything. Prime was a little bit underutilized because it dealt with you know mana itself and geomancy and so on. Prime was a pretty good toolkit for you to be able to just be able to sublimate mana to the other party though. Well, like like just it was neat because you were basically universal uh, outlet adapter. It was a good support role. I yeah. Think. Well, yeah. Um, so what I took for my merits was safe place and hollow. So I had four points in each which gave us four mana points each day to spend, and that was about enough to keep us going throughout the whole adventure without having to cut ourselves for mana points. <laughs> so yeah, but you know, you could have gotten that even without Prime by just meditating there or consuming tasks in a you know, more edible form. But yeah, generally Prime is pretty okay, but it's not like groundbreaking, won't really be all that useful all the time, but you know, I like it. And yeah, space turned out to be the big one with all the stuff like connection where you could hit people from a distance as long as you had the lock of hair or even photo or something. Is, space um, was super powerful. Is space the one that let you uh, look at things from yeah. far away? Yeah, that. Uh, like a scrying screen and also teleportation. Yeah. Jesus Lord. Yeah. That came in useful several times, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if you really throughout the game was spoiling people with all the tasks he was getting from the Hollow. And yeah. That's probably it. His nimbus is related to you know the forces and the prime which is all about geometry, light and all that stuff. You know, more abstract concepts I suppose. Yeah, I think that's it. Uh Chevrolet? The Magister. And what, what did that personality kind of mean for him? Well, like, how is it different from Theodore? He said, actually, he's yeah. actually not that much different in oh, yeah. Mage. Especially, sorry, um, especially because you didn't actually, like, like you guys didn't actually buy Shadow Names, so, like, there's yeah. not, like, a, there's not going to be, like, a super drastic difference well, with, like, yeah. mechanical-wise or anything. It's I think just, the two of your characters bought more into the Shadow Name, versus for Theodore, it was like, okay, this is who I've been, and this is the extension of who I am, so it's like, more of a transitional, like, okay, this is the more complete version of what I was, you know, a learned man, a, you know, architect, you know, dealing with the actual platonic forms of things and so on, so. That also, um, that also makes sense because you had the cult and were already clairvoyant as a mortal, so, like, you had the most 
foot in the door for supernatural shit already. So it makes sense that it wouldn't have changed you as drastically as the other characters. Yep. Okay. Alright, then I think that's everything. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So yeah, that was Mage. Uh, we just finished it up, but you're about to see it for the first time. So yeah, I'm enjoying stuff. Hmm. Uh, I was Devin. Nicole. Kevin. And Peter. And this was sponsored by Nobody. Signing off.